Hello everyone, this is another edition of Abhi's Journey where I invite my friends and guests from all over the world to talk about their life's journey and uh, the questions I have. So uh, today I'm uh, speaking with a friend of mine from uh, Bulgaria. Uh, I'm going to call him Kyle, which again is an alias. People ask me why my guests are anonymous. Uh, the reason being there's judgment, too much judgment in current society. So most of us uh, put a image for the world, which might not represent the actual case. That's why I want people to represent what they want to represent. So let us start with a small introduction, man. So I'm bicultural, sort of, though the two cultures are quite similar. I'm half Serbian, half Bulgarian. I grew up in Bulgaria. Um, after which I just wanted something different from the life which uh, is available there. So I decided to go and study somewhere else. Uh, namely, I decided um, Sweden, since coming from uh, the Balkans, you don't really have much uh, financial freedom and Sweden offered free tuition. Uh, so that's why I chose Sweden. Um, I lived there for three years, after which I I was quite happy with living there. Um, however, due to circumstances in life, uh, my partner, um, who is also from Bulgaria, wanted to uh, study psychology. So there were no real offers in Sweden to do a bachelor's uh, other than in Swedish. Uh, so we decided upon the Netherlands. Since it's uh, opportunity-wise, uh, it's pretty much the same as Sweden, if not even better. Um, so my general philosophy in life is try to try different things. Um, try to enjoy what's the, the, the path which life might take you on. And the path le led me here to the Netherlands. I see. So... Uh... Coming from uh, Sweden, uh, do you feel any, uh, I mean, your life getting better or uh, like how, how would you recommend, how would you distinguish? Because for me, the only difference is that in Sweden, when I paid taxes, I thought I was giving what was required. But here, when I'm paying taxes, I'm like just paying more and more taxes. I'm saying jack fucking shit. <laughs> so, you know, Sweden gets dubbed as the one of the most expensive nations to live in the world. But after living in the Netherlands, uh, I think, in my opinion, at least it would be Netherlands. What would you say? Well, it's kind of interesting with um, how there are certain preconceived notions of certain uh, places, such as when you live in Sweden, Scandinavia in general, or somewhere else in Europe or in the US. In Sweden, there's definitely the preconceived notion of uh, it's a more leftist society where you pay quite a bit in tax. Uh, you let the country do most of the things, but that's kind of, I wouldn't say that's too much of the case. I think it's a lot more played out uh, in uh, how society perceives Scandinavia, since, as you said, taxes here are more than in Sweden. I think it's 38% here, whilst in Sweden it was 32. Uh, I might have those numbers wrong, uh, but I think it's around uh, th that percentage. Uh, but it's around the, that percentage, but uh, then you would be paying for uh, 
uh, the health insurance, exactly. which is around uh, 130 euros to 150 euros, depending mm-hmm. how well your insurance is. Yep. But something that's average, something that's decent, it's is around 130 to 150 every one, every single month. Pretty much. And then uh, you pay for the taxes along with the rent and shit. Like yep. you have the garbage tax, you have the water tax, you have, uh, and if you drive a car, you have the emission tax. And then uh, you need to buy insurances as well for the car, for yourself. If you hit another guy, for that guy. And uh, if you hit another uh, car, uh, for that car. So, you know, it feels like, you know, you just pay, 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 pay a bit, a uh, bit pay and pay a bit further. Like, you know, uh, in my opinion, if uh, Netherlands is basically Hitler's worst dream, Jews controlling potential Germans. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting way of putting it. But in general, yeah, it's life is more expensive here. Uh, I've not lived in other Western countries other than these two. And I know you have. You've lived in uh, France. So I guess you could give more of an overview opinion on the matter, but... My frame of reference from a Western country is basically Sweden and in general of the notions which I have about other countries. But as you pointed out, notions can be quite wrong. So I'm and, not uh, really sure. I'm what just giving about. you my opinion. Uh... Mm-hmm. But uh, life is exp- expensive as fuck, uh, which, uh, yeah, it's. But it's still fine. Like the general, my. The, the way. Um, I feel currently here, there's a bit of a bias, right? So whilst I was living in Sweden, I was uh, constantly a student. Uh, That means that I I was never able to work full-time. So for me, Sweden was always a mix of bit of, uh, yeah, try to survive, have enough to feed yourself and get an apartment. And as well, whilst I was living in Sweden, I was living in uh, student housing, which was uh, I, th- I believe subsidized by the by the government, so it was cheaper than uh, the normal average market price for housing. So that does play a role. Why generally in Sweden the bills were quite smaller. And uh, I mean, uh, I did live in the same building as you did. Uh, yeah. it, it, it is true that they do get a subsidized amount, but even if you were living in a proper house, it's uh, going to be around nine thousand krona or. For 15,000 krona, you're going to have a really big uh, place inside the city. Especially but in the in region Amsterdam, where we lived. Mm. But in Amsterdam, you don't have big city. I mean, sorry, big houses uh, inside cities for starters. Yep. Yep. And then um, even for the crooked tiny houses they have, it's it starts at 1,500 rent a month. It's... So, yep. It's a lot uh, more different, indeed. I'm not sure of the housing market around Stockholm, but in the Gothenburg region where we lived, uh, it was a lot cheaper. Uh, yeah, quite a lot cheaper. And it is the second biggest city in Sweden, so life wasn't too bad. You know, it it, it is the actual Swedish city. Like no one in Sweden refers talk to Stockholm as uh, Swedish. You know, yeah. they say that yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's Stockholm. You know, like they don't uh, like to con- uh, consider Stockholm as a part of Sweden. At least in my opinion, as far. As I've spoken to people from the north, uh, in Gothenburg and south. Yeah, people do. Uh, in Sweden, it's weird. So they say uh, Skåne is a bit of a different part of Sweden. And Stockholm is a bit of a different part of Sweden. The rest is sort of bunched together. Though the north is also, say, oh, that's the, the northerners. But in general, the Gothenburg is a really good uh, 
if you would say what is the average uh, Swedish lifestyle, Gothenburg is quite quite good, I'd say. A good yeah, representation, okay. though that is sort of true here as well. Uh, Amsterdam is kind of weird. Uh, it's not the typical Dutch city either. Um, it's full of expats. And drug dealers and hookers. Yeah, there's there's pretty much everything here. And there's not too many. If you walk around Amsterdam, even in today's climate with uh, all the shits going on, you still won't hear too much Dutch, which is not really the case in Sweden. Um, so that, that does play a role here as well. A lot of people flock here, which inevitably brings up the uh, prices of housing. Yeah, everyone loves free weed. I mean, not free weed, man. Like uh, weed they can buy freely without any uh, meeting any shady guys yeah. inside apartments. But personally, though, uh, I like uh, I like weed to be decriminalized rather than legalized because uh, A, I don't like to pay taxes. B, <laughs> uh just kidding but the actual reason is that uh it creates a lot of jobs you know if uh, this gets legalized uh it's going to be cor- a big corporates taking the markets all over again like i want the small guys to win man like uh you know everyone ne- everyone needs to have a shot at uh, life that's that's my philosophy i'm not sure if um legalizing it will inevitably lead to big corporations taking over though with many things that can be and is the case. Though, however, with... And again, I'm not a in-depth economist or anything. Uh, there, I believe in a normal free market or as free as it can be. Uh, there is places for uh, smaller businesses. And if we look at the US, in California, let's say, uh, or Colorado, where it's uh, legalized, there's quite a bit of business going on with weed. The, the Netherlands is kind of weird since it's not really, I mean, the, yeah, the true. you know, that's the most fucked up part, you know, the, 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 like nothing says Dutch more than, uh, you know, the way they tax weed, for mm-hmm. instance, uh, like the weed you buy in coffee shops, you pay tax for that, but the weed coffee shops buy, none of that is taxed. All of that is an illicit market. So it is equal to buying weed from, uh, from a local dealer or a pusher or a burger. You you know the guy I'm speaking about. Yep. So it's and it's really illegal as well, I believe. Uh, it's it's semi illegal. Really, it's semi illegal, yeah. Which is quite the theme here in the Netherlands uh, that things are there, there's a silver lining. Like things are some things are legal, but the way the, the support structure underneath them is kind of not really legal. And with coffee shops, another weird thing is the fact that there's a set amount of licenses and. If you want to open your own, you just got to buy a license for somebody else, which is, in essence, you're creating a finite market for licenses. But, you know, uh, coffee shops here in uh, the Netherlands, almost in uh, uh, all coffee shops I've been to are successful. But still, some coffee shops close down because they can't keep up with the rent. Greedy bastards ask them. Because, so as you said, like since this is a finite market, they know that uh, no more coffee shops can come. So the ones who own the coffee shops don't necessarily run the coffee shops. They sell their licenses to other guys to run the shop and then they eat some profit. Yep. And when those guys uh, run out of money to pay the rent or like because the, uh, they need to sell in a very high quantity to be able to afford to pay the rent and for the rent for the license. Mm-hmm. 
there so... is an expectation uh, put on them. So if you have a coffee shop, you're pretty much expected to be cashing in quite a bit of money. And it depends on a lot of factors, man. Like uh, there are many coffee shops inside. Uh, like every, uh, I guess every city has a number of coffee shops that uh, they have. Uh, mm-hmm. That even that is finite. So uh, only in Amsterdam that receives the most crowd that comes to just smoke weed and fuck hookers and suck dicks. <laughs> uh, but the other coffee shops, for instance, in uh, places like. Uh, I wouldn't say the Hague, but a bit farther, a bit further. They, they they need to be making good money. So if they close, their business is gone. Like sometimes they don't make the the money that is required. That is also a really good parallel of uh, how Amsterdam is different uh, than the rest of the Netherlands. Since in, in Amsterdam, coffee shops can be quite shitty. Like a lot of them are quite trashy and they can still get away with it uh they're not they're rude to their customers uh it's not always what you would expect a nice g- generic place to hang out at uh be so if you look at coffee shops outside of uh, the outside of amsterdam outside of the tourist areas uh the it's quite quite a bit more different since they do rely on uh returning customers they they, they will not have this endless uh, influx of uh, customers which will come now and maybe again never or in two years who knows when but they, they will always come because this is the vice capital of Europe in essence so and uh, what I actually wanted to talk to you is uh, regarding uh, your life in the early stages like you were born in the 90s you were raised in the 90s right yep. break of uh, USSR did it affect your life Definitely did. And it's not more... Uh, Bulgaria was never part of the USSR, though it was pretty much a satellite of it. Um, we had uh, almost... We were pretty much a puppet state. Our leader was a simple man, quite simple, loved by the people. Uh, but... Is he still the leader? Nope. Uh, he, I believe he has uh, passed away quite a bit of time ago. But... Um, it seemed as if he is a simple man that uh, the people are supposed to like him and he wasn't educated at all. He was, uh, I'm not sure about his history too much. I don't want to, I do not want to go uh, down that path uh, too much, but everybody remembers him as this simple man, uh, charismatic, not educated. His Bulgarian was, well, it you could hear that he was not uh, somebody that has gone through higher education. Um, so that did, in essence, stagnate the country quite a bit. It created a, co- a culture of not taking responsibility. Can, the, the state takes care of you, or when it doesn't, well, there's not much you can do anyway. So it did create a big culture of not taking responsibility. And it also, um, I believe, destroyed the entrepreneurial spirit uh anybody that had any ambition was uh he he couldn't really make much out of it though people of course did and those are the people that that were running the country behind the scenes it was the people that took on more responsibility however it wasn't always a good thing you could get yourself in trouble if you did that and if you stepped on the wrong toes uh so when the communist regime broke down in the 
uh, early 90s um, that did create a big vacuum, uh, power vacuum, and people were just lost. You could see that in the entire East, uh, like former uh, Warsaw Pact countries. Uh, Russia is a good example. If you think of the 90s in Russia, you think of uh, mafia movies, of being poor, of having to do, uh, of basically thinking of survival every day. It wasn't too different in Bulgaria. So I was born in 96 and a lot of people say, well, if you're born in the latter, uh, in the second half of the 90s, you're not really a 90s kid, right? You yeah. haven't really experienced the entire 90s. But I can say with certainty that people in the Eastern countries, uh, there were communist countries. We did since uh, a lot of things. I, I mean, as a Bulgarian, you call that were Eastern countries. So what is Bulgaria? It's not in the East? Well, it's Eastern European countries. It's uh, a better way of putting it. Um, okay. So everything came at least five to ten years later at our place. So we didn't. We never played, let's say, triple example. A lot of 90s kids associate themselves with Nintendo. Well, we never had Nintendo since we were kind of too poor about it, but we did have Chinese knockoffs. Um, and those knockoffs came in the early 2000s. So we were playing games from the early 90s in the early 2000s. Um, so that, that it was interesting. It was an inter- interesting period. You, man, you said that like uh, things didn't come to your uh, place uh, until five or ten years later. And yep. uh, as someone from India, I can say that uh, still shit are not still in our place. We are still playing with cows and shit. Yeah, India is a different example, isn't it? It's Perfect. In general, it seems like an amalgamation of... Uh, a couple, I mean, not a couple, quite a India few is actually called a, India is actually called a subcontinent. Uh, I mean, because we have everything that a continent needs. The population of a continent, the topography of a continent, the geography of a continent. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the north and the south are uh, so different from each other. Uh, we don't speak, uh, speak the same. La- I mean, every single part of India is divided uh, based on states and union territories. Yep, and, and you then, use English uh, to communicate with each other, which is just a big, big uh, indicator of you guys are different. <laughs> yeah, uh, people in the south, uh, we have uh, distinct languages originating from uh, Dravidian languages, Dravidian mm-hmm. root. And the people in the north also, I mean, although they have uh, different languages, it is very closely similar to that of Hindi. For instance, Punjabi and Gujarati are different languages. But if a Punjabi meets a Gujarati, like both of them can speak in Hindi, they are without any issues. Mm-hmm. But if uh, someone in the South, for instance, I'm a Tamil, and if I meet someone from uh, uh, Andhra who speaks Telugu, me and him would probably be conversing in uh, English. Yeah. Although uh, he would understand 70% of Tamil and I would understand 70% of uh, Telugu. Still, uh, there are very distinct, uh, distinctive features. So we switch over to English, thanks to colonialism. <laughs> thanks to colonialism. It, w- it would be interesting if there was no colonialism in, in India, or at least not British colonialism, if you would still uh, there, there are back pros on English. Pros, man. Uh, like the way I say it, uh, you know, um, before the first uh, East India ship uh, that came to India, that mm-hmm. said that uh, they were going to open quotes, close quotes, business. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> India was the richest nation in the world. And after they left, guess where we were? 
one of the poorest nations in the world and exactly and no it does it didn't stop there ever since then year after year we lose our best doctors best engineers to the first world year after year they leave by the thousands to settle abroad to settle in the middle east to settle in the in countries like canada and america you can see the number of doctors and engineers who work uh, work in uh, big organizations in in america it's mostly run by indians it's a brain drain it's, it's a massive brain drain yeah man and still we continue to be one of the fastest developing nations in the world so you can imagine the scale i'm talking about like it's massive india 1.2 billion people right 1.4 billion documented documented yeah and that is a good good uh distinction to like um to make that it's uh i assume there is quite a bit of undocumented uh people yeah man, that, uh, that, but is, that, that is the philosophy of uh india you know like uh we have a lot of saying like in tamil we have saying like bhumi. in hindi aditi devo baba like the guest is god Mm-hmm. So this is this is our philosophy, you know. We always invite guests inside. Like right now, that's not the image. Like with Modi coming in, uh, with the uh, with the radical change of government, it just it didn't just happen in America, you know. It happened in uh, Austria. It happened in uh, England. It happened in uh, in in the Dutch uh, Parliament. Like uh, the the guy, the guy leading the opposition party he used to be the least popular one but right now he rose to the second most popular one Populism he is said shit like uh, he stays he continuously say stay stuff like i'm getting the moroccan scum out of this uh, country like you know when the Mor- when the dutch wanted their uh, dikes built when their dams built for cheap labor they had no issues bringing in the moroccans over but they won't, when they settled in and started getting jobs and uh, started to l- uh, live their life as they wanted to, which is expected, the Dutch were like, nah, you can't do that shit here. Culture has a short memory, I would say. And if you take the standard, let's say, uh, average line Dutch person, um, his life isn't really, he doesn't really take too much time out of his day to think, oh, who built the decks, who built the dams. And I think that's the case with most cultures. You don't really, you live your life, you, you do your daily tasks. You don't really think about things outside of the, whatever affects you directly. And that is, so you do not really put in historical context uh, in your daily life, which is super important when you, um, when you get to the age where you start having the right to vote, when you start being politically active, I mean, maybe active is the wrong word, but you can be politically active because then you have people coming on the stage who can push their narrative and you not having the context, which you need to interpret that narrative that can really stray you away. And especially, and another thing, it's interesting. So you have this in the West, in the Western countries where life is easy. It's an easy mode. Um, and you see the similar thing in the Eastern European countries as well. Uh, Hungary had a populist movement. Poland has as well. Um, Ukraine to some extent. And which are sort of like semi-easy mode. If, if we compare ourselves to uh, like Eastern Europe to the rest of the world, it's life is semi-easy mode it's not easy it's not like the west definitely but it's you still have quite a few institutions taking care of you and 
you won't really die of hunger. There's stuff to do. Sure, you live semi-miserably, but it's still fine. You can survive. But if you look at places where it's, well, India, it's extremely rich country and extremely poor country. How does that happen? Well, it somehow happens, but you still have populist movements there. So I believe that's, it falls down onto the responsibility of the individuals that look upon uh, the, the, they are the audience of uh, political movements. So they, it's their responsibility to be, to have enough context in order to take, to vote for people or follow people around but that's unfortunately not really the case and i don't think it ever was in history and i'm not sure if it can ever be but uh yeah i want to ask you when you uh, uh, spoke about mafia like eastern europe is known for its mafia but i i never been to eastern europe so i do not know the what the actual image is there but as far as i've met the eastern europeans here are either gangsters or uh, drug dealers or, you know you know what gangsters do drug deals so uh, there are only two kinds of eastern europeans i've met drug dealers and the jipos so what the actual scenario is in eastern europe like do you have a lot of gangs and violence so it's weird you do have gangs but gang life is not a big thing i mean some some countries is more than others but it doesn't really affect your daily life. Uh, however, when people refer to the mafia, they mostly refer to the government. Um, in the power vacuum in the 90s, um, there were, I'd say, two pillars uh, that of uh, power. Uh, one of them was uh, whatever was left of the government. It was usually the uh, governmental security forces uh, that was... Uh, they were they scrambled they weren't sure what to do so I, I believe they scrambled for power and the rest was the ones that are pretty much they have no problem of doing illegal things to get to make their family to feed their families basically since it was quite poor there, there was zero investment there was uh, no business going on so you did have to scramble for money and do whatever you could to uh, feed your family so a lot of people decided to go to the criminal route uh and another thing was a lot of the peoples from that, it created a generation of broken young people, which didn't really have much perspective or something to look forward to. So they also turned to, uh, it was an ideal to be a criminal. Uh, when you think of uh, like the, what pe- the people that were um, idols for, or that young children aspired to become, in the 70s or 80s, it was cosmonauts. It was scientists. Uh, however, in the 90s, it became all the big buff dudes uh, that have expensive cars and that have they don't. And Adidas pants. Adidas pants, yeah. But and what's the deal with Adidas, man? Like, why not Nike? Like, why why did you pledge your loyalty to Adidas? That's more of a Russian thing, more of a former Soviet thing. As far as I understand it, Adidas was uh, because in their Olympic team was uh, sponsored by Adidas. So they, the, the, the athletes oh, okay. wore Adidas. So I, I believe that's the reason for them. It wasn't really much of the case in the, in the Balkans. Uh, I'd even say the people associated with the mafia said they're, they're wearing suits. Um, 
but but it did create two sort of pillars of power in the country the criminals and the government and somehow they mixed together at some point i'm not really too sure on how that happened but uh they they got positions in government so corruption is widespread and that's not good it's it's hard to start anything even now with the current situation with the coronavirus and everything you could see that uh, the government in Bulgaria is under a lot of criticism, a lot of criticism, since it seems... Uh, it, it was the Bulgarian government, like where there was uh, this one event where uh, people went and uh, took a politician and uh, took him and uh, threw him in a garbage can. Like That was in Ukraine. That was in Ukraine. It wasn't in Bulgaria, though people would definitely want to do that. But, but it's... Uh, it seems as if the decision that the government makes is not, they're not based on any fact or too much of a long-term plan. It seems that it's on the, let's say what, how much investment and money can we get in the next five years and how much of it can we keep for ourselves? And that is quite unfortunate. Um, Sure. There's quite a bit of unfair criticism that's, uh, thrown against them, which is a hyperbole of what they're doing, but they've, it's, it's for a reason. Uh, just an example. Um, they instituted a, um, crisis, um, status quo in the country and they started, uh, locking down everything. The day after the EU, um, announced that they will give financial aid to countries affected from the virus. Sure, could it be a coincidence? It can be, but the first, uh, uh, the first, uh, the patient zero in Bulgaria was a an old lady in the middle of the country who is living in a small village, which maybe gets, I don't know, five people every month that come outside of the village to the village. So the, uh, that's insane. So either that means the she was framed as having uh, the virus, or that. Uh, if she did get it, that that means that it went rampant in, in the entire country for quite a bit of time, and the government didn't care too much. And there's enough arguments for both, so I'm, I can definitely not say which one is true. However, it's it's, it's it it leaves a sour uh, taste in people's minds, uh, mouths when they think about that. That it's as if the only reason why a crash situation was instituted, like put in place was to get funding from outside. And as well, another thing, um, there were rampant protests, anti-government protests before this happened. So now they banned During all... uh, which month? Uh, during March or... Uh... February. Uh, January okay. and February was full of scandals. The president went against the government uh, since uh, the prime minister is the one that has power since it's uh, in, in the country. It's not a presidential republic like the US. Um, so, yeah. It was rampant protests throughout the we beginning sort of the year. We sort of the same government in India. Like uh, we have a rubber stamp as a president. Like yeah. uh, he has no real powers other than to sign documents presented by the prime minister. Pretty much. Even if he says no, uh, it does not matter. But the uh, but he can't control a lot of shit. So he, he can't scam too much. But in Bulgaria, what kind of a scam did he pull? Well, the, the president... I personally, I, I was kind of skeptic as with all politicians there, but 
at least on the outside, maybe it's an image, maybe it's a front, but he seems to have, he's not part of the so-called mafia. Uh, he seems to be talking out of uh, what he believes is best for the country, which is obviously not the case when you look at interviews with our prime minister and uh, other politicians. They, they, they're corrupt. They don't even hide it. Uh, the way they speak is they look down upon the country. Uh, so it's it's kind of sad. But he did, uh, the president made a few speeches uh, where he criticized the government. And then that was pretty much everything that was needed for a protest to ignite. And they did. And imposing the strict uh, population control uh, to stop the virus was a perfect opportunity for two things. Stop the protests make them illegal for a certain time and uh, uh, get funding <laughs> from the EU. So and the, the same shit happened in India, man. Like uh, there were, uh, I mean, uh, protest after protest, uh, the farmers were protesting, uh, Muslims were protesting, uh, students were protesting, like uh, even the whole country was getting tired of, at least the country which can think and act. Mm -hmm. And the same thing that happened in America was happening in India as well. The only difference is that America has a population of 300 million and India has a population of 1.4 billion. And uh, so it it was getting divided and uh, the government did size this opportunity to curb all the protests. And I'm not certain if you saw the videos that were coming from India, people were getting trashed uh, left and right. You know. Yep. Uh, <laughs> when did Trump have a visit to India? It was it was a few months ago, right? When there were massive protests. Yeah, Melania Trump. No, no, no. Yeah, even Trump was there. Yeah. And uh, the funny fact is that, like, when Trump was showing up, like, uh, we were putting up walls to hide the poor from him. Exactly. So, so basically, we were uh, trying to sell our labor, like, uh, we can build the wall for Mexico. Like, it's it's absurd. It's absurd. Um, but again, the situation in India is probably one of the most complicated situations of how to lead a country in uh, the entire world. It's you have rampant uh, you have r- r- rampant uh, inequality. Uh, you have a lot of people. You have a lot of poor people. Quite a few rich people, and a lot of different cultures. So on the contrary, no, I think, uh, like, I don't think there are a few rich people. I mean, compared to the number of pu- uh, poor people, yeah, there are very few rich people. But yeah, speaking I in mean, relative terms. Yeah. And if you take account of the numbers globally, I think India would have the most number of rich guys, counting the money they've hidden. Yeah. Could, could very well be. I mean, more than... Uh seventh of the population in the world is indian so that's an, uh, for sure has a lot of weight and i'm not sure how much are you aware of the uh, concept of uh, dutch disease no uh, so that's the that? e- economic concept of when you when you are still haven't developed your service sector in a country uh i could butcher this but bear with me it should be some at least somewhat uh, correct um when you are still in the when you're still a producer of uh, goods um mostly then services uh when you hit a lot of when you find a lot of natural wealth uh, that that 
positive for the short term, but extremely negative for the long term. Um, an example would be Venezuela. So it, ha it was a growing economy until we'd find oil where everybody decided, oh, we should start working on oil because we are extremely rich in it and there's a lot of profit to be made. So you, you take all of the potential of um, people that people working in other um, industries, you, you grab them and you put them in one industry only. So in the long term, you kind of lose a competence in other fields and you only in essence specialize in one thing and if that thing breaks down well tough luck you are in economic ruin i believe uh, it's called dutch disease because uh, in the 50s dutch found oil and that did uh, for the next 20 years plunge them into a semi-economic crisis but you can see that in africa as well like a, lo a lot of countries cannot develop because well, they're super rich in natural resources, so it's easy for them to be exploited by them uh, for yeah, those yeah. resources. And I'm not sure, yeah. maybe that's also a big part in India. Yeah, true, man. Like, uh, you know, we have these big uh, companies. For instance, Sterilite is a very good example, I can uh, state you right now. Like, Sterilite is a copper plant, and it uh, it is an American company, and mm -hmm. it produces copper, which is one of the principal elements in all the electricity. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and they were mining for copper back in India, and many states in India refused the copper plants because uh, I guess they didn't meet the standards. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Tamil government, being the Tamil government, uh, the current, the the then government, then I'm not saying it in a way that now it's better. Now it's still more fucked up actually, but the then government uh, let them uh, set up their plant, and uh, within the next decade, the breathing problems in that zone spiked up. The number of cancer patients spiked up. Mm -hmm. And then, so the population uh, got aware of it and then they started protesting. The population, civilians, mm -hmm. without any armed uh, protest or anything, like they were just sitting and uh, they were protesting. So the government sent the cops to shoot them down. 13 people got shot down because they wanted clean air. Sounds ridiculous. And, uh, this is this is not a population which is a minority to the country or something. I mean, India does consider us as minority because we are just 80 million. Uh, but uh, this happened in South. You know, it was the local government which sent the cops to, you know, to take care of the situation. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's not a too good of an example of this disease since it, it sounds more colonialist. Uh, than anything, a uh, foreign company that's uh, uh, mining, uh, has mining operations in uh, a country such as uh, India. But then yeah. again, all the people that were exclusively in that region working on copper, those people didn't develop other skills. So in the, in the long term, they, they, they did not uh, necessarily develop other skills like many, uh, like we were so concentrated on uh, developing our economy. We wanted for uh, we wanted to attract foreign fund uh, investments. Yeah. We didn't give a shit uh, what it would result in in the long term. Exactly. For instance, like we have the biggest uh, cotton producing uh, tree, uh, cotton trees. Mm -hmm. The cotton trees absorb a lot of water from the ground. 
this results in our uh, our people not having enough of water to do farming and this has resulted in farmer suicide at one of the highest rates imaginable i think it was around 200000 or 300000 farmers uh, who committed suicide uh, in the last 10 years or something like that 300000 farmers who couldn't pay uh, repay loans about 200 or 100 euros yeah, that's quite sick and i mean if you look at any country or any economy the way it could f- the up there, there is in a theoretical optimal way of uh, acting where you have to balance the short term games with the long term games problem is it's hard to predict the future in order to create the solid solid long term plan of course you could do as best of job as you can and leave room for errors and for ad- adapting um but in many places with having the four year election cycle it is hard to for a government to keep to keep the support of its people if it only thinks of the long term game if uh, the re- regular standard average citizen does not gain too much in the four or eight years of which uh, the certain government is in power in office well he might not vote for them will he since uh, as i said as i believe people have a short a really short memory or they, they live in the moment mostly so it is um, a government cannot really reinstate solid long term plans without um, that's the thing i'm saying man. like people need to i mean this is my philosophy like uh, people need to stop working for uh, money like right now we are the only species in earth which uses which consumes all resources as we, uh, because we are we have convinced ourselves that all these resources are only for us that's not the case if everyone in the world started respecting the balance to the cosmos that we live in a planet we owe to the planet and uh, if we base our actions on that i believe every human can live a life of fulfillment and contentment without destroying the planet like right, right now why do you need uh, thousands of dresses like you have seven days and uh, how many dresses do you change like not too many you know, that balance issue um but but it's a it's quite a complicated um it's quite a complicated topic um Oh, definitely there is Western culture quite a bit. The strive for material goods. I think of it as more of a tool for, for as part of having a good life is striving to have material goods. But that's that shouldn't be the end goal. It's more of a tool which you can use, uh, which you can leverage the way your the the direction of your that your life takes. But. if you just look at uh, the the richest people on earth a lot of them celebrities they're not they don't seem to be too happy a lot of them are suffering from depression it's just having achieving a high status uh, of wealth is not that's not your ticket to happiness and that that's yeah that, that, that definitely does not make you more of a happy person it can be it alleviates you of a lot of your issues but one has to remember that 
the way the part of the reason why they wake up in the morning is the fact that they they have to deal with with issues that they have responsibilities to take care of things so i don't i believe it's not the best idea of looking at money as a bad there's definitely not a good thing to look at money as a bad thing uh, but one should be really careful so no i'm not saying that money is a bad thing man what i'm trying to say is that greediness is a bad thing that is like you save you save you save you save you save at a point that uh, comes in which you have more than what you can spend which makes it useless like can you imagine it like uh when we were kids we uh, me and my sister used to play this game like uh, you know how much money you have i have like a million dollars and she would say <laughs> no i have 10 million dollars and then i have a billion dollars and then she say i would have billion dollars power infinity and i'd go infinity power infinity like that's how i see the money right now like uh, you know the money spoken by billionaires 150 300 billion like people don't understand how big is 1 million uh Yeah, we I mean at the end of the day we have to remember we are <laughs> stemming from uh animals from monkeys at, at times it's as if monkey brain say hoard this in order to be better in the future and that is definitely applicable for greenness on the higher end of uh legal the yeah or well, not even legal system it's you feel more you think that it will bring you more comfort if you have uh, more finances and it is true you have a bigger safety net but in the end of the day you have to remember that money is an abstraction it's uh, i'm not saying, i'm not against uh, rich people man i'm not against uh, rich desires like i want to have a land rover car and i want to have a good motorbike for instance i'm planning on buying a motorbike that's around 20000 euros this is not a simple man's desire this is not a cheap wish this this is a rich desire i'm not against rich people i'm not against getting rich i'm against obscenity that results in abuse of millions of not just humans other species in the world like for instance mm-hmm. we like for let's take internet i'm not against internet i'm against the way it is be, it is being utilized like earth has this magnetic uh, field magnetic radiation which is not just used by humans it is also used by birds to travel across pieces of land and we humans we use those magnetic uh, radiations to have uh, conversations like 2g 3g 4g and 5g as the technology progressed we didn't even care like is it really needed so what as it resulted in is the cause of millions of birds dying and when birds die they don't bring they, they don't contribute to the ecosystem of the locality and when you don't have a stable ecosystem everything collapses and uh, guess what humans are also in that ecosystem this is why i'm saying that like uh, right now scientists and uh, everyone working in uh, the technology and innovation sector need to start asking question but why like do we really need uh, certain stuff like I- indeed and if we could just for uh, before uh, going to answer your question about uh, telematics <laughs> um if we can go back to um the more of the financial talk it is definitely the case how i believe my personal philosophy when you have enough for yourself when you're secure when you know you don't have to worry about you yourself and your family then whatever rest 
whatever liquidity you have, so to say. It's the best thing, the best thing you can. It is quite wasteful for you. It's it's no longer of any benefit. You are happy as is. You will not get more happy, but um, more happiness or fulfillment, but just hoarding more and more. What you could do then, and I believe what should be your responsibility to do then is to look around you. Okay, I have enough. I'm set. I'm set for life. What can I do for other people? And be that even if you do it invested in preservation for of the ecosystems, you're still doing it for other people. You're still doing it for the environment around you. You have a lot of effect on the environment around you. And you should definitely, if you have the opportunity and you have the, if the, if you can do something to help other people, I believe that is what will bring you a lot more happiness and fulfillment than just hoarding it. So whatever you have more than what you need for yourself and your family, I believe you should reinvest it or find a way to make it useful. Don't don't lay it, don't make it stay lay, lay around. Yeah, that, think of it I, as, I as a, to that thought. Mm-hmm. So don't don't you, if you I believe if people visualize it as be a big warehouse with just putting your resources there, they're just staying there. They're not moving. I mean, sure, something might happen and you might need resources to deal with the crisis situations. But then again, you only probably, if, if you're ex- quite rich, let's say a millionaire, you only need just a small part of them. Uh, but then again, uh, it's perspectives change. I see myself changing every six months. So I once people in their position, they for sure have some valid reasons for hoarding it but it's it's complicated and i believe you can put finances and resources to better use than just lying around and a lot of them not just like making them lie around a lot of them are investing in stock markets and other fields so it's 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 probably not best to trivialize it too much but then again it's hard to discuss it without trivializing it um and for when you said uh, the when um, you talk about the internet and how we try to connect everything, it's a weird thing. It's it seems that it's our strive to to, uh, to improving technology is it's we we're not sure where we're going to end up on, but the journey is worthwhile uh, at the very least financially and quite worthwhile when it comes to uh, well having something to work on and strive towards even though we don't have a set end goal we we have no goal of okay uh in 20 years we want to achieve uh let's say the internet i mean sure there are goals we want to connect more people to the internet we want to develop technology but we do not have an end goal for our technological development we just go in the general direction yeah that's the thing i, I believe gives... uh, we we, do, we don't have enough of uh, thought schools anymore like you know uh, every greatest civilization had uh, thought schools people who thought uh, is shit really necessary yeah like where are we going okay like okay well, now what do we do from there like you had plato you had aristotle uh, in the golden age of uh, the Middle East, the, during the science and development yep. ages, you had uh, Ibn al and uh, yep. when the uh, the medieval dark ages was alleviated, you had uh, the Renaissance movement uh, filled with uh, philosophers and thinkers. 
But right now, I feel that that's lacking. And that's why we let technologies like Facebook and superfluous technologies like uh, Facebook and Instagram run so much of our lives. It is, I believe there's sort of two perspectives on this. One of it is we are living now at a specific pace. It's easier looking back at history to say, oh, sure, in the last 3,000 years, there was a lot of philosophy. But if you look on it from a year-to-year basis, it's probably a lot more diluted, so to say. However, there is the other angle of, well, if you look at a lot of philosophers, uh, there were, I mean, if you have time for philosophy, you have to have time other than working to survive. So though you could definitely be a philosopher and work all day, uh, it depends on the amount of uh, intellectual opportunities you have to spend your time. Um, before, well, you could read books, you could hang out with people uh, in the ancient times, but there were, you can be part of politics in some places, some places you couldn't. Uh, But if you had free time, there wasn't too much to take up that free time. So in essence, you were were left more alone with your mind. So I think that plays a role. Currently, if you have so many, you have more opportunities to put your mind to work, be that engineering, be that any STEM field or any other uh, academic pursuit, or if you don't want to go that route, you can just spend a lot of time on the internet consuming content. So That's actually a nice perspective. It's There's a lot more things to take up your mental capacity, I believe, now than there was probably in all of yeah, your that's, history. That's definitely true, man. Like, uh, there's a shit ton of more stuff to do right now rather than in the old times. I'm not saying that let's go back to the dark ages. I'm just saying that let's tone it down for a bit let's uh, let's think shit through that's what i'm saying do you do you really like facebook was created with the intention of rating how hot women were and right now that is used to decide global politics it is i mean it is not necessarily used uh, it is a medium in which global politics gets decided so i want to know mm-hmm. if I'm asking myself if this is the technology I want to let uh, affect my life in a, such a big manner. Well, it's also with these technologies, with big pitfall. I mean, the selling point, I believe, of these technologies was, yeah, you can give voices to people all around the world. You don't have to physically interface with them or through media mediums such as uh, um, direct messaging or letters you can in a way create a community a community where you're not bound by physical constraints you can just grab your phone grab your laptop and you can be part of something that did in turn give uh, an equal voice to many many people and in essence i do believe in the tenets of uh, that all people are born equal and should be treated as equal but that's that's quite the simplification of uh, it simplifies life. So we are not all equal. I'm you know more things on some topics. I know more things on other topics. In that, that does create an inherent inequality in our knowledge, in our acting, in everything. So you gave there. 
the the way I see it, the most vocal voices on social media are usually the most uninformed voices in that uh, specific field. It's uh, what was uh, Kruger's curve, or how, what was uh, the phenomenon? Uh, the more you know, like the lesser confident you get, like that curve. Yes. Yeah. So the less you start projecting, and the less you start writing and uh, and sending it to everybody. So that that plays a big role, and that's something that we never had to deal with before. So that's quite interesting, a problem of our times, so to say. And another aspect as well, I work in IT, you work in IT. So it's a bit more different the way I understand the algorithms, which, or somewhat understand the algorithms, which uh, guide the narratives on social media of more, whatever brings more uh, attention and more interaction with uh, users. That is the thing that gets pushed to the front pages to the home page to the feed of uh, most people so i know okay this is in negative and negative topics are the ones that usually elicit the most response the most interaction so i i come in with the this bias in mind that, that social media has a specific bias towards negative uh interactions so i know this and I try to take this into account, though at times when I scroll through Facebook, I do feel, oh, the world is definitely going to shit. But I do still have that in mind. And from what I see from my parents and the most active people, I believe, on uh, Facebook are around the 30s, especially now in quarantine. All my uh, my mother spends her entire, almost entire day on Facebook. All her, uh, th- that's her main channel of information. So that really creates a big skew in the public um, and in general, how knowledge is transferred between people. So that's an extremely weird thing, extremely weird. And, and she does not really grasp the concept. But I prefer to use the term wrong because you want to ha- channelize your uh, place where your information is coming from. You want to know for certain if that's trustable, if that's accountable or not. That's the reason why I have all my guests as uh, anonymous. Like I know that uh, even uh, including you uh, do not mind having their original names, but I do not, I do not want to give the guest uh, the chance to put up a, a public image. Uh, like if you're Mr. X, I don't want to what Mr. X uh, lives in the society. What honestly uh, Mr. X is like, what give a man a mask, and uh, he'll show his true self. And that is so true for the internet as well. Uh, it, in essence, gave people masks, but things like social media, well, they said, told them you can use this mask to be an extension of yourself. <laughs> so I'm not sure if right, and we can really judge these things by right or wrong. Uh, it's a useful way to do th- things, but, uh, and I believe, yeah, you should, put the labels of right and wrong on things. That's the way you can make any decisions in life. If you don't have that, then <laughs> good God, you will never make it, make any decision in life. Though one still has to keep in the back of their mind. Well, this seems right to me at the moment with my not current knowledge, but I may have the, leave some space for um, the counter argument to anything. You worked in uh, self-driving cars, right? Yep. So uh, well, my philosophy is that, like, why do you need self-driving cars? Like, uh, let us uh, 
question what happen what will happen to the millions of jobs that depend on driving and let's put our energy in creating that sector and then introduce uh, the self driving cars when this becomes a demand but right now we do not have a demand for self driving cars as far at least as far as i know so th- th- this again you know represents the the gap between uh, necessity and innovation well when it comes to innovation outside of um maybe me- the, the medical fields most innovation is not really necessary is it we don't really get too much out of having a new uh piece of silicon that performs better than the one 2 years ago or a few months ago however we still strive for it we we try to optimize parts of our lives even though it's it's unnecessary for most things you can live your life quite fine yeah but my thought is that like why do we need to keep going for better stuff let us go, uh, go for better stuff for the whole of earth as a planet like we still need to figure out how to uh, desalinate in a mass scale because we don't have a water problem we have a salt problem like joe rogan said um we we have major farmlands and we do not have enough of water resources to keep us sustainable like uh, in many parts of the world in for instance in south india we are dangerously out of water like uh, i'm talking yeah. about uh, population uh, uh, around half a billion so we are uh, year after year we are fighting for water and it ends violently and uh, consider this happening in a country like america where every citizen has a gun or not every citizen at least many citizens do have guns still it yeah, it's interesting with a gun debate i mean that you might say that will actually make things more civil since the repercussions are you're not just going to get a beating but you're going to get shot so that might keep things more civil but that's a whole different topic which Yeah it's, it's mean, a whole different topic no now what i'm trying to ask is that like why can't technology be concentrated on these things like we we still need a solution for uh, as i said water we still need a solution to clean up our oceans we still need to map our oceans only 5% of our oceans are mapped we are concentrating on technologies like uh, on uh, life on mars but do we really ask a question do we really want to go to mars like it is a red planet and it it is covered with red soil what are you going to do there well mars aside i believe the strive for technological innovation has a lot to do with purpose in life um in essence it gives you the as a young young person saying i want to go into a stem field in tech specifically you you're sold the promise that you may or may not i mean there's a small chance but you still know that idea which might come to your head or even if you're not the one that drives innovation you can still support innovation that you're changing the world and i believe that's a really really powerful powerful notion when you feel that you have you have some positive impact even though if it's positive or not cannot be really judged on a short uh short period of uh, sh- short term scale but rather on a longer term scale what is positive now might be quite negative in the future um 
it gets that's, a lot of people uh, you like know this. that's progress man like you know uh, you can't get 100 out of 100 things right like you always try for progress like right now uh, you have a garbage island you have uh, oceans littered uh, like himalayas is filled with shit literally shit and uh, that is hilarious and, and tragical yeah and so you know if you come up with technologies that can uh, solve solve these things you uh, when it does all these things when uh, the robot that uh, cleans up himalayas uh, goes jobless it will start cleaning people's places and that will cause another jobless i mean uh, unemployment then you deal with that uh, unemployment uh, you try to concentrate uh, the, the labor force on something uh, on on r and d or on uh, any other subjects that you want to concentrate on 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 progress so well, let's go back to the um self-driving car um, topics. So that's a topic that is quite representative of technological drive mm -hmm. in general. So the what is the arguments for self-driving cars? Well, the main one, which is quite valid, is if you manage, let's say hypothetically, if you manage to do it, a good implementation of it, that would drastically reduce the uh, number of accidents on the road. And that's most likely true. Uh, if you have some good uh, way of cars communicating to each other is that will mitigate a lot of human error that's in the in the mix. Of course, there are other ethical issues of oh, if it's an inevitable crash, who do you where do you crash into some people saving the driver or into uh, a wall which kills the driver but saves the people on the road? Well, that those are complicated topics which is are hard to discuss. Um, another big argument for self-driving cars is efficiency. Well, uh, a trucker, uh, somebody that works in delivery, the Netherlands, a good example, somebody that exports a lot of flowers, it's a stressful job. Uh, it's an inevitably uh, constrained. The human ability is a bottleneck. So for a business, it'll be a lot more efficient if the truck keeps on driving 24-7. And some companies do that by having rotations on who the driver is. But in the end, it's still limited by uh, a person, a human's ability to drive. The selling point of self-driving trucks is, well, you just give them a direction and they'll be there in an exact set of time. Of course, an accident might happen, but the with uh, in a perfect world with self-driving cars which communicate with each other and understand the environment better than the, us humans with our eyes and ears, that will be far less likely. Um, now, what's the biggest criticism against self-driving cars? Well, the how would you trust a machine to do things? I mean, that, that's probably the weakest criticism. We trust machines to do so much things as is, be that uh, doing surgery or many, many other fields. But you still kind of understand that, uh, that uh, criticism. Well, it's a goddamn robot that can run me over. How do I know that it's not gonna, not going to happen? Um, the other major criticism is, yeah, it will put people out of jobs. But as you said, that may not be a bad thing. That will leave them up to their cognitive potential to do more potentially cognitively demanding tasks since driving is... No, man, I believe that if every human on the planet started living life in a sustainable way that does not uh, damage the earth in a, in a much larger scale than what we are doing right now... I believe yeah. uh, we will have our uh, hands and lives completely occupied. 
because do you know how difficult yeah. is it to produce uh, the products we eat sustainably without use of any pesticides or in- insecticides or conventional farming techniques that destroy the land for i mean that makes the soil unusable for at least uh, next 20 or uh, 30 years i mean do you know like it's so, it's such a complicated task but we don't uh, concentrate on these things because we believe uh, right now okay we have insecticides so we got the insects covered all right we don't care that uh, we are poison we are poisoning ourselves with insecticides and so th- th- this is my po- this is my thought at least uh, that if every human started uh, using his or her own intelligence to live life in a sustainable manner that we won't uh, we will never run out of shit to do that's the biggest argument for uh, innovation right like right now yeah. uh, we have schools almost every individual that's born on this planet goes to school almost everyone and what do schools teach how to play a role in the society how to get a job yeah. so and not re- not necessarily what is the best role you can play in society but it's more skills not uh, the decision where how to use those skills which is quite interesting um and the deciding on what gives you purpose that's extremely complicated topic but definitely saying i want to live in a sustainable manner will is something that will give you purpose um however for most my opinion on society for most things we are going with the flow so currently the way the world is set up is well we try to stay as to get, gather as much as material wealth as possible uh, and to sort of live fine i mean we try to our basic needs are met so we just continue on with whatever is the first things that gives the first thing that gives us purpose um be that just being good in your job or not good or good at something else good at a video game or something but we don't is i believe that most people when they hit something that gives them purpose they stick to it and what are the chance chances that that thing is going to be building a sustainable future well probably not too big right so having more and it's difficult if you found purpose in life in life why would you say oh oh well, you know what i found this it gives me purpose but why would i stop doing that thing in order to find something else well, most people i believe won't really do that they will not reexamine their value structure or their daily life and change it and make big big changes in it in order to incorporate something as uh sustainability though i believe people should think about it but you kind of can you can understand why people don't really think about too many things outside of their daily tasks yeah that's uh, that is understandable you know uh, anyway what i'm trying to say is that like we humans don't question ourselves like you know we fill a role in the society and if we get to survive today we are happy and i don't believe that life is just this life is more there are millions of species that live in the same planet and we believe that like we are the only ones who need to do something to do to survive you you do something that you need to survive is something different doing something to keep your survival 
a continuous process is different and that i believe is called as getting a job in the current society paying your bills you live to uh, live, you live to do the same shit another day well in essence we as a species conceptualize the future which you could say birds do as well when they build nests they know well i mean what they know is hard to tell but they do have some uh they some potential of planning look, they do build nests only when they are uh, about to mate and when it's uh, yep. winter they don't give a shit what happens to their house it is true uh but they in general i think we're pretty much the as far as i know the only species that really has a concept of the future so we we put part of our life's purpose to think about that future uh and then you come into the uh, play of long term versus short term future for most people short term is good enough i believe and as long as they put some eggs in the basket of long term future that's more than good enough like you pay part of your uh, salary for a pension plan eh, it's it's good enough why why would you bother more your life goes on um so and that sort of gives us a big responsibility because this way we change the environment a lot more than the other species we have the power to to make a lot more change um so not sure what point i'm trying to get at i guess i'm figuring it out as i talk and um but that makes us wholeheartedly different than the other species that's probably the one of the main things that we plan for the future most species as long as they get to survive they're happy for us it is as well but i'm happy if i i survive but i'm also happy if i contribute to society but that's your individuality this is what i'm trying to say like yep. you know every human born in this planet has a unique fingerprint this is from Indeed. the nature so i believe everyone has a unique set of thoughts and vibrations we need to act according to that like that that is a way you were created like you did not ask to be born in this part of the world you did not ask to be born in this uh, space and time continuum but you were brought into existence so would you want to live in the life that was presented to you or uh, would you try to m- you would like to use the term make use but the right term is exploit or would you exploit the resources just for you to have a mere survival yeah it's it, it it's complicated when i when i put my mind to it most definitely hey i would like to i feel the right thing to do is to use as much as only as much as i need and sort of have the campfire rule personally where you leave the place better than the way you found it exactly why i have those beliefs i'm not really sure i mean sure it's uh... it's the way you were brought up the way you were raised like you wouldn't be having the same thoughts if you weren't born in the same family as you were born in for instance if you were born to a poor exactly. family and you were raised in the streets you would be running around with guns and shooting people exactly it's it's a specific it's really specific to your experiences which is amalgamation of the way you were raised just pure luck what cards you were handed in life uh and your actions which inevitably change the the path you take down in life so th- those are i would like to follow the campfire rule but if i 
examine my life in all aspects, I can easily find, I mean, I can find places where I do not follow them. If I'm not conscientious of what I'm, I am doing at the, in a specific point in time, I won't really, I'd say I'm not intelligent enough to, apl- to apply that general rule to everything. Um, let's say trash. Let's put trash into perspective. I know that trash is a big problem, but I do not really think of, okay, if when I buy something in a supermarket, I don't think of the packaging it comes in too much. Now that I've had this thought, it will inevitably be affecting me in the next couple of days. Or if I decide I'm going to try to produce the the least amount of trash possible, then that's a decision which will inevitably change my life and potentially change the people around, around me. But I'm not... I know that trash is an issue, but I do not uh, let that affect all aspects of my life. Um, And that is true for pretty much all issues, isn't it? So it's hard to, there are so many issues, there are so many places where you can truly say he is making the world a better place. And you can, you you have to make you make your pick, which ones are you going to tackle? and a lot, some of them could be really, uh, I mean, if you go down the path of doing the least amount of trash in the world, that might throw you off of the path of doing something else. So in essence, my philosophy is it's complicated. Try to do the best you can and re-examine every action, which you could see it, whether that makes the world a better place or a worse place. And again, how do you ju- judge whether you made it a better place or worse place? Well, you should re-examine, recursively re-examine that judgment process as well. Yeah, that's a really so, positive uh, idea or a thought. But I would like to add, say, uh, saying that, like, do not, you know, stress yourself too much uh, on these things. Like, just think of this. Like, do you give back to the world the amount you take from it? If you think you do, then you're good enough. Just try to be a decent human. That's good enough. So before ending our session, I want to ask one last question with you. Based on your journey so far, what would you summarize your thought as, your life as a journey? And what, if you want to say, if you want to leave with one thought, what would that be? Life is a journey. Try to... Try to live the best you can with, and try not to be too harsh on yourself. Your decisions are based on um, whatever you thought was best at the time. So try to incorporate as much knowledge as you can in order to have the best, but you have the most educated guests in every decision that you do as possible. I guess that would be it. Cheers then. Thank you for joining me. Cheers, Abby.